this is what I'm making. I'm not going to move unless I'm making more. Of course, you would understand that. But sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm not really making as much as I as I want. And so I'm going to really focus on my qualifications and what I want and not really mention my current salary. Welcome to the Let's See Grandma Let's Career, Grandma Warrior, 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 Warrior Podcast. Warrior And welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we talk about how not to hit your next job interview, plus some tips to overcome those difficult interview questions. Ah, interviews, whether you can't stand them or you actually oddly enjoy them, being good at interviews is still a crucial skill to have if you want to snag, quote, the good jobs. If you think you rock at interviewing, hold on just a moment. Do yourself a favor and take a step back. In a survey encompassing over 2,000 responses from our own clients at Let's See Grandma, the vast majority gave themselves either a four or a perfect five out of five for their interviewing skills. It seems that many are too confident when it comes to interviews. After all, if everyone views themselves as above average, we'd end up with a lopsided bell curve. The reality is that most folks are just average at interviewing. However, for you, the career warriors listening to this podcast, those who are gunning for these top positions, I want you to level up and become above average here. So consider this episode as a moment to humble yourself and to be receptive to picking up a thing or two about those interviews you may or may not hate. Today, I brought on the charismatic and witty Sam Owens. Sam Owens is the founder of Sam's Career Talk, where he provides career coaching services and helps people land their dream jobs and thrive in them. He is the author of I Hate Job Interviews, an exciting book that will be released by HarperCollins in June of 2024. He is also a chief marketing officer who has worked for three multi-billion dollar companies in the consumer packaged goods industry and now runs marketing for Freezing Point, the makers of Frazzle. So let's launch right into this informative episode. I'm so excited to talk to you about interviews today and bring on Sam. This is our episode about interviews for the Career Warrior Podcast. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for calling me charismatic and witty. I had to think of something that you were honest to you that I've been following your LinkedIn content for some time. You are. So thank you for for joining and bringing, bringing your gift, sir. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Love the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. So opening hotbed, interesting question here. Why do so many interviews suck? And if you have any funny stories in your earlier Sam life from years past about your own interview experience, I'd love to use that as a primer. But why are interviews so painful? I think there's a few reasons. The first is that the stakes are so high. You know, I often talk about the job interview potentially being the most important hour of your career. Not that you're going to do your best work in that interview, but it's the hour that makes all other hours possible. That interview goes well, you get to go to the company and you work there maybe months, years, decades. Doesn't go well and you don't go to work for that company. So the stakes are incredibly high. I think you also feel like an outsider. Uh, I remember speaking of stories, one of my interviews I did, I was asked to come and interview. They said, just so you know, it's going to be at a, a little bit of a different location. I go in and it's at a boondocks play place where they're having like a company offsite. And they put me in like the little kid's party room and people kind of walked in and out to interview me. So I'm sitting there by like, you know, whatever the balloons and the confetti in some tiny little seat in a suit. 
and uh, you're kind of an outsider. They're just kind of here, go in this room and we'll come in and talk to you and then we'll leave and talk about yeah. you. Then we'll go in. So there's this, there's this feeling of a little bit of loneliness, isolation. And, but I think the most important reason why interviews suck is that, that you can't 100% dictate how it's going to go. You can prepare for a lot of things, but you don't know exactly what the personality is going to be like of the interviewer or the exact questions you're going to be asked. And I just think that gives a lot of people anxiety. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you can definitely relate to the outsider kind of feeling and mentality. I, I did get an interview. I remember an interview one time where in the middle of the interview, the person just told, told me straight up is like, you didn't get it. I'm sorry, this no. is not going. I've been there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just immediately. Yeah. And he's, by the way, do you want to find out more about my company that you're interviewing for? I was like pretending to still be interested and like holding back just my upsetness. Same exact thing happened to me. I got a tough question. I thought the interview was going great. I got a case question. I rambled for a few minutes. And afterwards, she just said, we're not going to continue. Uh, you're not going to get the job. Yeah. And that was it. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, you, those are the moments that you really remember in a job interview. And you say to yourself, I swear that's never going to happen again. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I understand those questions. So yeah. it can be healthy in a way, even though it's painful. I remember reading something about that was part of your motivation behind the book. It's like, I don't want this to happen again. And kind of that, that fire, which is awesome. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. I think there's a way to circumvent some of this stuff and to learn from what other people have experienced through learning and training and stuff like that. That is the primary reason for the book. Yeah. So speak to the person right now who says, I feel already pretty decent, pretty good about my ability to interview. I'm good at talking with people in general. I'm a natural. So why can I not just step into an interview and feel confident that it will go my way? If this person I'm speaking to would say, Sam, if I have a good interview, will I get the job? My answer will be maybe. They say, well, Sam, wait a sec. What if I have a great interview and I, will I get the job? My answer will be maybe. But Sam, what if I have an excellent interview? Will I get the job? Maybe. The only thing that would make me say yes is if they say, what if I interview the best out of all my competition? I'll say yes, then you're going to get the job. Yeah. And so an interview might be perfectly adequate and you might get the job if it weren't a, com a competition, but it is. And so you have to interview the best out of all of your competition, which is why typically adequate is kind of maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but you really need to be the best interviewer yeah. of all your competition. Getting to the next level, I think people kind of just walk into it sometimes thinking, oh my gosh, like this is going to go great. And then it does go well. And they're confused as to why they didn't land the job. It's frustrating too. It is super frustrating. And it's kind of like, you know, one of my, my favorite movies is Hitch. It's the Will Smith, uh, Kevin James. There's a scene in there where, you know, Hitch is the date doctor trying to help Kevin James out with this girl. And he says, hey, I, I, you know, I want to see what you think about your dancing. Uh, I want to see how good you are at your dancing. And he's like, oh, don't worry about that. I got that. And Will Smith is like, wait, what do you mean you got that? You're going to have to show me. And uh, it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie because his dancing scene. is a total disaster. Yeah. And I think, you know, hey, hey, Kevin James had good rhythm. He couldn't really dance. And that's the difference between being charismatic and being likable and a good yeah. conversationalist. Oh, yeah, I should be fine in the interview. Well, interviews, it's not just about having good rhythm, so to speak. It's knowing the actual steps to something. The steps to the walls is very different from having good rhythm. Yes. And being likable is very different from knowing how to interview and answer the questions they're asking you. 
So let's talk about how not to hate your next job interview. And in a second, I think we can go into some of these models that you've spoken about. But just a couple of primer questions that I think people want to hear. First of all, what are some top mistakes that you see job seekers are making in the interview? And then I'll, I'll transition to, I think, like wastes of time for job interview prep. But yeah, what are, what are some mistakes? Let's talk about the negative stuff. In the interview, in the actual interview, I would say there's a couple big ones that stick out. The first would be to, to not take advantage of your opening statement. And what I mean by that is when an interviewer starts the interview, they got your resume and they say, can you tell me about yourself or walk me through your experiences? A lot of interviews just kind of take that as like a warm up question. Oh, sure. I did this and this and this, and I'm really excited to be here. Now let's get to the meat. That's actually not what the interviewer is asking. The interviewer is asking, can you just tell me why you're the perfect person for this job and why I should stop my search right now and hire you because mm -hmm. that's all I want to do. I don't want to interview 20 other people. I want to hire someone really good. So just tell me why that's you. And so yeah. when someone says, tell me about yourself, candidates should look at this as an opportunity to show them that they're qualified through their experiences, to show them through their experiences that they get results, and then to tell them that they're super interested in this company by the story that they weave together in that opening statement. So they shouldn't take 30 seconds. To, oh, I did this and that. They should take a solid three minutes to prove those things so that by the end, the interviewer is like, dang, this person brought their A game. That's a big one. It's so important not to waste that opener. Yeah. The second thing that I see is on behavioral-based questions, which typically are the meat of most interviews, which they're like, tell me about a time when you did this. A lot of times people when asked for a specific story, don't give a specific story. You know, they don't answer the yeah. question directly. They say, tell me about a time when you were a great leader. They'll say, oh, you know, leadership is really important. I've been given feedback that I'm a great leader. I have an open door policy. I care about my people, which is all fine and good, but that didn't answer the question. You know, the, the way to answer that question is sure. Last week I had a situation where yeah. I had an employee that was whatever. And let me tell you exactly what I did to solve that problem and the result that came of it, that is how you answer that question to being very specific. You're asked for a specific example, give a specific example. It's funny you mentioned stories. I think about things that are memorable just in general. If someone's giving a talk, a presentation, a lecture, sometimes the only thing I'll remember from the entire hour or whatever are just the stories, like those two impactful stories that were told. So It makes such a difference. I mean, stories are irrefutable. Facts and figures are debatable. Stories are memorable. Facts and figures are forgettable. And everything about stories is just perfect for the job interview. I mean, it proves yeah. people say, how do I not brag in an interview? It's like, tell a story. Let the story you're telling do the bragging. And you don't have to say, I'm great. I'm amazing. Just tell them what you did that was great and amazing. And then they'll draw their own conclusions about you being great and amazing. So top mistakes, I guess, time wasters do you think job seekers are making when it comes to preparing for the interview? I think people can, most people can get on board with just put some time into it. But yeah, what, what have you seen in terms of like how people are not spending their time well? I think there's probably a lot of people who have listened to Hamilton, the musical. There's a scene where Aaron Bird tells Hamilton to talk less, smile more, right? There's a scene where he does that. I would say actually read less, talk more. And what I mean by that is a lot of people try to prepare by continuing to read and study up on the company. They go online and they try to you know, do everything to understand the company. 
and they fail to actually practice their responses and to actually mm -hmm. talk out loud what their responses are. It actually baffles me, Chris, that um, you know people will practice, they'll have their kids practice three hours a day of football, which will probably get them nowhere. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but they won't practice for more than a half hour of their job interview. You know, <laughs> and it's just crazy to me. You know, this is it what is. you're spending the rest of your life doing potentially. Yes. And then the failure to practice is just crazy. And I get it. It's uncomfortable. Role playing is the worst. I hate it. I don't want to role play. It feels awkward. I feel stupid, cheesy or whatever. But in my coaching, it's the first thing I'll do is I'll do mock interviews because the improvement is so dramatic between zero mock interviews and one and between one and two. It's probably worth 20 hours of sitting there reading about the company online, just a couple hours of mocking yeah. everything. Because of those stakes, as you mentioned at the very beginning, why people hate interviews so much because it's just like, oh, everything kind of rides on this. Well, maybe kind of treat it that way a little bit more by putting some time into it in the very beginning, even though it's uncomfortable, people feel like it may not be a good use of their time sometimes, but it really is. Yeah, it's painful. And I can't remember the book, Common Denominator of Success, Doing Things that Other People Don't Want to Do. A lot yeah. of people don't want to do these mock interviews, but those that endure the pain and make the improvements get the jobs. Yeah, love that. Remind me, I'm going to ask book, rec you'd be a good person to ask for book recommendations. So perhaps I'll remember to do that at the end of this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Great. Let's dive into the models thing. I think models be really powerful for this. We've all heard of like car technique, you know, challenge action results, star technique, things like that. But I'm curious what your take is on these models, or if you have something different you would recommend. Yeah, models, I think, are extraordinarily valuable in job interviewing because they provide shorthand, like shortcuts for you to be able to answer questions instead of trying to prepare a thousand responses to a, a thousand potential questions. Models helps you break things into question types. And then if you put a model against those question types, then you have a framework to where you can tweak your power stories or the stories you use to these models. I think the star model is a solid model for behavioral-based questions. I call it the SPAR model because I think it should be situation, problem, action, result. It could even be PAR, problem, action, result, to create tension. I think that the way you use the model is the most important part. So if you look at SPAR, for example, situation, problem, action, result. You could take that. Uh, I was once working for a manufacturing facility. I was asked to do this and I did this and here is the result. Or you can take the opportunity and say, okay, this model is going to help me craft like a Disney movie here where I am the hero and there was a serious crisis and the things I did landed a great result. And so models are important. The way you use the models is what really matters, I think. So the way that you use the models is is really important. Can we sort of go through one of these things? If you could put me in the hot seat, you know, to kind yeah. of workshop one of these. I think people would love to hear that and then kind of do this in action. Yeah, let's talk about it. So each question type could have a little bit of a different model. Let's take a question that makes people pretty nervous, right? Yeah. Tell me what one of your greatest strengths is. What's your greatest strength? You know, people <laughs> get nervous about this because it's like, oh my gosh, am I going to brag? Yeah. What is my greatest strength? How should I do this? So, you know, if you were to say, Chris, let's put you on the hot seat. What's a strength of yours? What would you say? I would say it is charismatic communication. Perfect. Okay, great. So there's a model for this. I call it the C model, S-E-E, -E, which is statement, 
which is exactly what you did. So you answer this perfect. Boom. You just answer the question right away. You don't hem and haw. Explanation. And then example. And so, for example, you could say one of my greatest strengths is, yeah, charismatic. What'd you say? Charismatic. Communication. Communication. That's the statement. Now you go to the explanation and you just explain a little bit. What do you mean by that? How are you a charismatic communicator? What do you mean by that? Not an example, just what do you mean? So what I mean by that is my ability to convey a message across in perhaps with some emotionally charged rhetoric, but in a way to get people genuinely excited, I think, about the message, whereas before they might have found something uninspiring or boring. Wow. You're doing an amazing job, by the way, because this a lot of times takes a lot of prep. So great. You did the statement. You did Thanks. the explanation. Now, this one might be hard for you because it does take some prep. Okay. And this one is example. For example, you know, there was a time when, and I don't know if you can think of one now, it's, it's okay if you can't. Okay. But, you know, there's an example that you have, for example, when I did this and you do a very brief, I did this thing and it worked out really well. Okay. So for example, I was speaking to somebody who had a mediocre resume and they felt like the resume was in decent shape. So what I did was I took the time to analyze what I believed was wrong with the resume and some areas of improvement and communicated to them the opportunity and what opportunities existed if they were able to make these tweaks and improvements to their resume. And I sent them a five minute video, basically with just this emotionally charged, but also very honest and accurate feedback on their resume and got a very long, positive response with all caps. And just, just, I could tell genuinely that they were excited and my message came across. That's perfect. Great. Okay. So that was a very easy, simple way you did well. You, t you did a statement. This is my strength. Okay. Answer the question. You elaborated a little bit on it by the explanation. And then you gave a quick example. Same thing would apply if you said, Hey, well, you know, what's your greatest weakness or, you know, other questions about you tell them what your philosophy is a leader. Those would all work. So, so that's an example. And, and if I could, let me get into one more model. And so I'm, I'm imagining this is so like, this is a model that I would run through in my head and rehearse all together. So this is like a a response that isn't prompted. I'm just, I'm using this as if they ask that question, I just run through the model in my head and deliver. What's great about this is all these models that I kind of lay out in the book and I use with coaching, you don't need separate stories for these models. What you need is 10 power stories or 10 reasons you're awesome. And you can bucket it into what's listed on the job description. Okay. I need, I need some good leadership stories. I need some good analytical ability stories, for example. I need some good working well with others. And depending on how they ask the question, you can tweak your story a little bit to fit that question. So the example you just gave me, Chris, about this charismatic communication, or, you know, this, the way you communicate, if someone said, tell me about a time when you had to communicate something, you could have taken that and used that resume story you just gave, and you could have put that into the SPAR model and told that exact same thing. And the benefit of that is, number one, both would be great answers and you knock it out of the park. But that also means you don't have to create 50,000 <laughs> separate yeah. stories for different types of questions. Yeah. You use the exact same, same thing you just did and you just learn how to reframe it based on the model. Love that. Thank you. This is great. Okay. So let's, let's go a little deeper here. Let's talk about what I call the SPAR model. So this is an example that I have in the book. But if someone were to say, can you tell me about a time when you had to solve a complicated problem. 
if I were to walk through the model, and I'll kind of give you the points here and, and talk to you about what I'm doing, you start with a situation and it's very brief, okay? It's like hot dogs, right? No one wants to know too much about how it's made, right? Just get to the meat, right? Like the, the situation should be quick, right? Most recently, I was an account manager for a digital marketing agency, and I was responsible for a big portfolio of client relationships. Boom. That's all you need to do in the setup. It can be quick. Now you create the problem. The key to the problem is you create tension. You make them interested in wanting to listen more. Yeah. A few months into the job, I was asked to evaluate all of our clients to determine which were most valuable to our company. Now, if this were a task, I could stop there, but I want to create a problem to where they're going to go, oh, geez. So I add, this was a real challenge because it had never been done before and there was no clear guidelines on how to do this. And I was a junior level person. And now it's like, oh, geez, okay, how is he going to solve this? Now the stakes are raised and there's tension. So that's all it has to be. It's quick. Now I focus on the action and the action is where you should spend 70% of your time on this because now you're proving why you're a rock star. I like to do what I call the rule of threes. I move in sequence about specific actions I take. You could do two, you could do four, but the point is you talk about a sequential list of actions. So I can say, the first thing I did was to understand the value of our clients. I created a scorecard of measures that define value. The first was top line revenue. The second was bottom line profits. And I kind of tabulated it. Okay, boom, that's one. The second thing, you know, I did was I layered on a measure of how many hours per month we spent dealing with each client. And so I could determine a ratio of how valuable the client was to how much time we were spending with the client. Okay, that's two. Now three, I created a presentation for our executives after crunching the numbers and some of our findings were very surprising. For example, we often found that we were spending way too much time with certain clients that we weren't making any money on. And even though we were providing a lot of work for them, and it also showed that we had a lot of upside to grow business with clients who were very profitable, but actually didn't require very much time. So that's kind of how you talk through the actions of actually you take them through steps of exactly what you did. And they're thinking, man, okay, this person knows how to think, knows how to solve problems. And then this would be a third thing that I would say people forget. They forget to give a result. Mm -hmm. So on this one, the last part you say, as a result of this analysis, we shifted our strategy to focus on higher impact clients. And we were able to grow our portfolio over the next year by 25%. Bingo. So that is how you would dig into a model like this. Again, it's how you use the model. If you just think the situation was this, the task was this, but if you can practice enough to where you're weaving it into a, a very cohesive story where people are engaged, you're going to nail it. You're going to nail it. And I love, I'm almost using this as like a memory device, like spar. I'm thinking like the martial arts, like how we spar with people, we kind of fight, but oh, yeah. this, it brings the problem and you're kind of like how showing how you fought the problem. It brings in some action, some drama, like you would yes. do in sparring. So that's, right. <laughs> that's true. I love that. And that's awesome. I love yeah. that. I'm going to ask you about the hot seat question, kind of like the really tough questions that job seekers get asked in a moment here. But first, I know just as a follow-up to prepping the interview and how to come up with these stories, we don't really have like crystal balls in front of our hands and we don't really know what the interviewer is going to ask. I can tell you, I mean, there are the common ones such as, you know, tell me more about yourself, your greatest strengths, greatest weakness, 
things like that we can prepare for. But what about perhaps questions that are not as commonly asked? How do we prepare for those sort of questions? And I know yeah. you brought up the power stories kind of example. Maybe I can draw from the power stories, but how do we prepare for the unexpected? Yeah, it's great. What's helpful in these situations is to bucket the questions by question type. Because while you could be asked a ton of different questions, you're not going to be asked, there's only uh, so many question types. So there's the introductory question, there's behavioral questions, there's case or scenario questions, there's questions about you, and there's trap questions. If you can know at least how to handle those types of questions, you'll be able to handle most everything that's thrown at you in an interview. And so when mm. I think about a tough question like, you know, why are you leaving? your current job, right? It's like, oh man, that's actually a trap question. It's a trap question because it has the potential for you to go negative and get yourself into a spot where now you're trash talking the employer. And there's a lot of questions that are trap questions like that. And the common theme of a trap question is its potential to go negative. And so you need to have a framework in your mind on what if I'm being baited into going negative, how do I think about that? So particularly when it comes to this question, why are you leaving your current job? You want to structure it in a way that talk about the positive things that you're getting from this current job, but then talk about the amazing things that you're going to get with this new yeah. opportunity that you're not going to be able to get at this current job. Yeah. As an example, that's a way to keep it positive. That's a way to keep it focused on the job. And that's really a way to avoid that trap question, so to speak. Is what is your greatest weakness another trap question? It can be. It's kind of a blend of questions about you and a trap question. Let's just cover it real quick because I think there's probably a lot of people who are just interested in that. That one's even harder than what's your greatest strength because, you know, there's two extremes to this question, right? One is you can give a a kind of a pseudo like, you know, like, oh, I, I work too hard or I care too much, or, you know, you can kind of give one of these BS answers that people don't believe and it kind of comes off as disingenuous, or you could go the other way and give them like a really egregious weakness. <laughs> That's like a yeah. deal breaker, you know, <laughs> Hey, I don't ever want to come into the office. Don't expect me, you know, whatever it is. So what you want to do in this type of circumstance is you want to highlight a reasonable weakness and then talk about the things you're doing or already have done to start to improve on that weakness. So one example could be, you know, I have a bias for action as a leader and part of that bias for action makes it so I can get a little bit impatient when a lot of the team wants to really make sure we got all the details buttoned down. I want to go. And that bias for action can be really good, but at times it can cause me to maybe miss a couple of details. And so I've noticed that about me and what I've done is surrounded myself with people who are more, a little bit more risk averse and a little bit more into the details. And anytime I'm about to make a big decision or milestone on a project, I know who those people are. I'll give them a call and ask, you know, hey, how does this sound? And almost every time they'll point to two or three things that make yeah. the decision better. Yeah. And so that's something I continue to work on and continue to try to surround myself with people to be able to handle that. I love that. And one thing I liked about that is in hearing your response, which was brilliant, I felt like there was this ratio of how much of that response was focused on the positive. It felt like 80 to 90% of it was on the positive, such as this is the bright side to my weakness. 
and also the things that you're doing to improve upon the weakness and you barely kind of focused on the problem. And I, I love that. I think it made, it just sounded nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that a lot of interviewees believe when they get asked that question is that depending on the weakness they choose, that they're going to be like eliminated from their candidacy will be eliminated or something like that. It's actually not at all what they're looking for. They're looking for hyper self-awareness. They're looking for someone who understands ah, themselves yeah. pretty well and take steps to improve themselves. They're not looking, oh, oh, he said analytics is his weakness. So yeah, he's axed or she's axed. It's not that. They're looking for someone who's self-aware. So that's what you're trying to demonstrate when you answer that question. Great, great. So let's round out with money. Everyone's favorite topic here. Let's talk money. So, and this may be more of like an application level question. Sometimes it's the form fields for applications, but like how much are you looking to make with us? That kind of thing. How do you tackle the question about how much, what your salary expectations are? Great question. So you have a couple of options depending on the situation. I have in my book, the 10 laws of salary negotiations, which apply to offers and apply, I think, to people who are working and just want to get promoted or make more money. Your best negotiating leverage is after you have an offer. That's basically the best time to talk about money. So when someone asks you about money in the interview, it can be a really difficult situation because it makes you feel like they're judging you know, whether or not they're going to give you the job based on what you say in terms of money. So if at all possible, I like to first say, at least as one option, hey, I'm really excited about this opportunity and I really want to make sure this is a good fit for me and a good fit for you. And I'm confident we can figure out something that works should you want to move forward with me. You know, you can fully punt. That's one option. That's what I would do. <laughs> What's that? That's what I would do. Yeah. yeah. I just letting it. Yeah. You know, another option is if you're pretty confident in your base salary and you're like, look, I got to be making X more than my base salary. I mean, you can just, yeah, we can, we can talk this now. Here's what I'm making. Here's what I need to be making uh, or I want to be making in this new role in order to make a switch. If you feel like you have that kind of leverage, I've had those conversations before too. Like, hey, just right up front, let's not waste our time here. Let's just kind of talk it. That's an option that definitely works for you. But in those times, a lot of times I speak in ranges still because I don't want to fully negotiate until there is an offer on the table and in writing that I can actually really evaluate. Okay. Um, Speaking ranges, can you elaborate more on the ranges thing? Because I've been told that once you give a range, it's almost like they'll go for the bottom number no matter what, you know, yeah. but what's your take? Yeah. When I talk about range, I do like to anchor a little high. The way I joke about it is you want to be, so, when you say the number, you want to be somewhere between, you don't want to be sure we can do that. And you also don't want to be like, let's stop the call right now. You want to almost cringe a little bit inside when you're saying it. Not completely, just a little. <laughs> Wait, here's my range. Ooh, I've never heard. <laughs> I hope that's okay. You know, and you don't say that, but inside you are stretching just a little bit. And because, you know, the, the response is, ooh, yeah, okay, that's a little bit above our range, but maybe we can work on something, you know. So I think if you are gonna give a range, you ought to do your research and understand. Yeah. If it's not transparent, you ought to do your research and understand from just your network or friends or Glassdoor, whatever it is, do everything you can to find out what the pay range is for this role. Yeah. And then, you know, try to justify landing on the high side, which you communicate. If you're interested, I'll just rapid fire these. These, these are just 10 laws, okay, of salary yeah, negotiations. And if any one of them becomes interesting, you know, in the end, we could talk about it. But first, best time to negotiate is when you have an offer in writing. Second, 
any promises of career progression or salary or anything that's not in writing should not be taken seriously. Third, it's best to actually be paid what you're worth or maybe slightly more, but not a lot more and not a lot less. If you're paid more or less than you're worth over time, it, you often run into problems in, in terms of career and the company yeah. and everything. It's best to be That's paid great. what you're worth. Compensation is about base salary, but so much more. So part of negotiating is figuring out what things they have flexibility on and what things they don't have flexibility on. Companies are more willing, this is five, companies are more willing to deal, to do a deal with you if they believe you will accept. So sometimes people think, no, I got to be standoffish and I don't know or whatever. No, they're actually much more willing to negotiate. If you say, look, I'm really excited about this. I want this job. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I need to make this happen. Don't Good. underestimate the power of likability. So that's number six. If you want to be douchey yeah. about it, it doesn't go well. Like people think you got to be a jerk to negotiate. It's actually usually the opposite. The opposite, if you're likeable, yeah. Negotiation goes much better. Seven, you're likely not to burn bridges by negotiating hard. So, you know, people think, man, if I really am negotiating hard, are they going to remember this in a year? Like amnesia, once the negotiation's done and you start, it, you're pretty much good to go. So, don't be afraid to negotiate hard. Eight, knowledge is power. So, understanding where the salary ranges are, doing your research. If you got that knowledge, you're going to be in a great spot. Nine, a rushed deal is usually a bad deal for at least one party. A what deal, Sam? A rushed deal is at least at least one party is usually going to get the short end of the stick. So if you're yes. feeling pressured, oh, we got to know by this time or whatever, take a pause. Don't rush it because it's you're usually going to, someone's going to regret that. And I kind of use that in sales too. It's like people don't like being pressured to buy something. Right. It's like they want to make the right decision for them. So yeah. Why do you get pressured into something? Well, because they want to close before you can do all your research. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it's all the reason. And then finally, number 10, current salary can be a great asset or it can be a liability. So it's up to you if you want to use that. You know, sometimes it can be a great shorthand. It's like, look, this is what I'm making. I'm not going to move unless I'm making more. Of course, you would understand that. But sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm not really making as much as I, as I want. And so I'm going to really focus on my qualifications and what I want and not really mention my current salary. And that's okay. up to you. So you're saying like how it could anchor you down on accident because I've been underpaid the whole time. Therefore, someone can continue doing that and know that it's not as big of a deal if, if I already had the higher pay. That's right. They say, oh, what are you making? Oh, you're making this. Okay, I'll just give you a little bump. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, but there's actually a higher, I'm underpaid and the range for this job is actually more and you think I'm qualified. So let's pay me what I'm worth. I love those 10 rules. So these are in your book? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Because my question to you is any tips on salary negotiation, but you, you pretty much nailed that already with all <laughs> those. And that was beautiful. That was really beautifully put. Good. Yeah. All part of accepting and signing the offer. That's the part of okay. the book. It's the last chapter. Okay. I want to put, and these are unexpected. You don't know about these questions. I just want to ask you a few random, exciting questions that I would love to know about Sam Owens, Great. book, et cetera, things like that. Great. But first of all, any final words of advice on the salary negotiation piece, just because I know it's something that's sure. interesting for people or interviewing in general. No, well, the last thing on the salary thing is I would just say, remember that we are kind of commodities in the marketplace. I don't mean that as insulting, but we kind of operate in a marketplace. Yeah. And so there's things that make commodities make more money or raise their prices and the things that don't matter. So for example, I need the money. Well, that doesn't get you a raise, right? I need the money or this isn't fair. That doesn't get you a raise. What gets you raises, 
I'm performing at a higher level, or I've differentiated myself, or I have this extra education, or you know, those are the things. Just like a commodity, like a jug of milk, right? Jug of milk needs more money. They're not going to get a price increase. It's like jug of milk is like, no, why I've added protein, or I'm organic, <laughs> or I'm something else. That's how the price gets raised, not because milk needs more money or because it's not fair that this other jug of milk got something. So just remember, as you're negotiating salary, you operate in a marketplace. So speak in terms of the value you're providing to them. I love that. Thank you. So three questions that I haven't even prepared for this interview. The first, you mentioned books earlier. So this doesn't have to be career related at all, but say like you can give your number one most impactful book for you. But if you have to give a couple of other ones you can't pick, then that's fine. Your top books that have been impactful for you in your life. I love to read and I love to listen to books. And so it's hard for me to to think back on like the books, but I just tell you some things I'm thinking about right now. I like Morgan, and this might not be interview. This isn't necessarily interviewing. I like Morgan Housel a lot. He wrote The Psychology of Money. I think he's got a really good philosophy just on career and money and those types of things. I think it's a fantastic book. I'm reading Radical Candor right now. Yeah. We're actually doing it as a company. Really good models for how to give feedback to employees. It's one of the hardest things for a boss to learn how to do. They're either, you know, kind of marshmallows or jerks. And how do you be not a jerk and not a marshmallow and, and give the right feedback? So I think that's a, a really valuable book. I like to read a lot of comics. And so Steve Martin's biography actually is one of my favorite books about his stand-up comedy career. A lot of application to business and to interviewing. One of my favorite quotes from that is, you have to be so good that they can't ignore you. That's an amazing quote from his. And that, that's how he approached his, his stand-up comedy when he wasn't getting traction. You just got to be so good that they can't ignore you. He also said, anyone can be amazing once in a while. The trick is to be good night after night after night. Just that has so much application, <laughs> I think, to business. Yes. And so I love that book as well. That's awesome. He has a master class too. I know I, I signed up for it, but I never took it. But on, on comedy and stuff. It. It's great. You took it? That's, yeah. It was a good? Yeah, it's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Second question. We have a lot of career changers on this podcast or people who listen, folks who just have to make the bold, big, courageous step next. So can you tell a story about a time in your life where you've had to make a step in your career that took a little bit of that courage? Yeah. One of the biggest steps I've had to take was going from really big to really small. Uh, I went from Danon, the Danon Yogurt Company, which is pronounced Danone, but no one really knows that. But it's the did, Danon yeah. Yogurt Company, $22 billion, I think, dollars in revenue, uh, you know, more employees than the city I live in. Huge company. And then I went to a you know, $10 million small kind of private equity-backed food company, Cauliflower Foods. It was a big leap. And really, when I think when you're making these you want to evaluate, for me at least, what gave me the courage is I really tried to evaluate the people I was kind of going to be working with, you know, in terms of how I would land. The, the, like, was I going to be working with the people that trust me, that are good to work with, that are going to set me up for success? And then really, do I believe in myself is what it comes down to, right? Because I had to get rid of all the protection that comes from a big company, all the, the benefits and the, all the different things that come with it that make you feel pretty fat, dumb, and happy, to be honest with you, pretty secure. And so the question is, do I believe in myself and my decisions and the choice I'm making enough to say, yeah, I'm going to do this and it's going to actually be better. So that's the first thing, believing in yourself. The second thing is, this has been said many times before, I think it's, it's really true. Are you running to something or are you running from something? 
And so sometimes if you're miserable at work, it can be easier to make bad decisions on your next move because you're just trying to get the heck out of there. And hey, no judgment. I get that. But that can be something you just really want to keep in mind as you're switching careers. Are you switching because you're miserable and you'll take anything? Or are you switching because you know there's something else out there that's a better fit and you're kind of taking your time and being thoughtful about it? Th those are some things I would say that really helped me think through what I was doing, why I was doing it. Awesome. Thank you, Sam, for that answer there. Yeah. I think that's powerful with the story. My last question to you, and probably a good one to round out this episode here is, and just let me know if you want to skip, move on to the next one here, because your book hasn't released. It's coming yeah, out uh, this summer. Oh my gosh, June of 2024. But tell me what is a section or chapter in your book that you think people would find challenging to process or to understand maybe the part that people kind of might shy away from because it doesn't make sense, but you really think that they need to get that message across interviews. The deep, dark secret of job interviews of really hard competitive ones, or the, not secret, but the deep, dark part that people don't want to deal with is scenario or case questions. It's the part where they just don't want to have a conversation. They just, instead of practicing, they just hope they're not asked the question. And that's like a question where it's like, hey, if you're, if you're going for a marketing job, tell me what you think about this brand and what would you do to make it better? You know, those questions, and you know, there's quite a bit of depth there and we don't have time to dig into it. But in the book, there's a whole section on how to kind of think through and answer questions like that. And I think that those that really dive into the book and dive into that section, that's kind of the part where if someone's good at answering one of those questions, you know they're going to be ready for the interview because it's typically the last one of my favorite movies is Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure a lot of younger people haven't seen that, but there's a scene where he goes in, there's a fire in a pet store and he's like saving all these animals. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but he's saving all these animals. And as he's walking by the snake's cage, every time the snake's, you know, little glass and he's like looking at it and he's like, no. And he keeps saving all these other animals. All, <laughs> and every time he walks by the snakes, he's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And finally he looks around the pet store and the only available pet to save are these snakes. And so he finally grabs them and runs out screaming and stuff like that. That's case <laughs> questions for interviews right there. It is the nice. snakes in the cage. It's like, no, I'll do everything else. I'll practice behavioral questions. I'll practice my introductory question. I'm not doing the case question. So focus on those and you're going to be in great shape. Cool. And I love the analogy to the snakes that people right. don't want to confront, but you got to do it. And that's it's yeah. a challenge. So yeah. Awesome. Sam Owens, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'll make sure, of course, to drop the links, but I think people need to hear it from you. How can people stay in touch with you? And like, you know, I think you're very active on LinkedIn. So would you direct people to your LinkedIn and anything else like that? Two places. First, samscareertalk.com. You can sign up for my email list. I send a weekly email list out with some career advice and content. There's free materials as well for, for signing up, job interview materials. And then LinkedIn follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm there all the time and posting new content all the time. That sounds good. I will make sure to link your LinkedIn as well as Sam's career talk as well for you listeners who are too busy right now. You're jogging, you're driving. Make sure to check that out in the description. Sam, this was awesome. You are as charismatic and funny as I thought you would be. And <laughs> your answers seriously were spectacular. It's, it's interview advice can be so generic and, and tough out there. But the fact that you backed up I think all of your responses with like these awesome stories, I think just made it really powerful for the listener. So thank you for joining us today. And I really enjoyed this. 
Thanks for having me, Chris. Great talking to you. Cool. All right, listeners, this wraps up this episode of the Career Warrior Podcast, how not to hate your next job interview. In fact, I think if you were listening to this episode and really, really got into it, you're probably not going to hate your next job interview. You're probably actually going to enjoy it because I can see you getting excited and inspired, you know, drawing your own personal stories using the SPAR method in a way that excites you in a way that can excite your future employer as well. So get excited about your next interview. It's not something to be so afraid of. In fact, there's a lot of power and potential to change your future, I think, with a good interview here. So as I mentioned, I'll make sure to link Sam's career talk within the description of this episode, as well as the LinkedIn profile. You know, I'm saying this every episode because I hope that all of you can just at least consider this, but post this episode on LinkedIn and tag me and Sam and let us know what a key takeaway was for you. I'm seeing these these posts come up time and time again, and there's nothing that makes my day more than seeing this. Connect with Sam and I on LinkedIn as well. Leave a personalized connection request in the body of your text. Just let us know that you listened and there's nothing that makes me happier, truly. All right, listeners, this wraps up today's episode. I will see you next time. Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's Eat Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. 